Today on the Sound Rider Show, we're going to be talking about the Vancouver Motorcycle Show. We also have a couple of great interviews from that show coming up. We'll also be talking about five ways that you love your motorcycle and also things that you can do in your car and things that you can do in your shower only on the Sound Rider Show. Stick around. Support for Sound Rider and the Sound Rider Show is made possible by... The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, the Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com slash rally. This is Rob from Motofit Group. Welcome to the Soundrider Show. Now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. It's the February edition of the Sound Rider Show, and I can't tell if that's love in the air or exhaust, but either way, I am looking forward to another beautiful month of riding in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm also looking forward to this show with friend and publisher of Sound Rider, Tom Marin. Tell me, Tom, what is in your heart this month as we look ahead towards February here? What are your thoughts on motorcycling in this uh, beautiful month of February, what are your thoughts on how you love your motorcycle, and uh, what are your thoughts in general? Let me well, know. Well, you, you asked me what was in my heart, yeah. and, and we just ate pizza, so <laughs> it's kind of burning now, I think. Well, that is a, uh, that's an indication either of uh, poor quality food or of uh, ambition for a, a heavy month of riding here in February, right? What do you got planned <laughs> Uh, coming up here in the next couple of months. I mean, I didn't have a chance to get out and ride too much in January, but I'm hoping to kind of break that streak as we look ahead towards, you know, I guess springtime. It's a, it's a little premature for that, but I think we might have some opportunity here in February. Well, it's time to be jumping on the bike and doing some, well, getting out the battery tender. Yeah. Keeping them juiced up, taking them out, spinning them around. Um, I have been riding a little bit. Yeah. And uh, taking care of things like, uh, you know, in that box on my counter over there, there's a couple of rear view mirrors in there. There's a relay for my blinkers on one of my bikes. Right. I got a couple little maintenance jobs. I was going to kind of wait till the weather warmed up to do them. But uh, I think the weather warmed up about November, didn't it? Yeah, you know, it has been kind of a mild month. And as you mentioned uh, that we've got some spare parts over here on the counter, we should let the uh, listeners know that uh, we also use the studio here to store some of our wintertime projects. So that's kind of a dual purpose, right? Yeah, and our tools yeah. <laughs> and our spare tanks and 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 hubs and rims and yeah a little bit of everything here yeah yeah. all 946 square feet of the studio hey you know storing parts it's a good place but you know you mentioned that you've done a uh, a little bit of riding and uh one of the things that you and i both partook in and we didn't ride because we had some really nasty weather but we went up north of the border and uh checked out the vancouver motorcycle show my first trip there but i know you've been there what three or four times now I think I counted it the other day. It's like five or six. Oh, so you're a uh, what we call a KG veteran at this point. Something like that. Right? Maybe a Kentucky <laughs> veteran. I don't know. Well, let me give you my first impressions here because this was, like I said, my first trip to the Vancouver Motorcycle Show. 
The last, I guess, real motorcycle show I attended was down in Portland, which I think was an IMS two years ago now, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to say, I was pretty happy with this one. I felt like it was a uh, a good production, a nice mix of uh, dealer OEMs and some of the local dealerships, a lot of tour groups, some education groups. There were a few strange products in there. I think I saw a jewelry booth that I didn't know if it was completely necessary like the, to be like there. Like an airbag vest? And- well, yeah, but I was okay with that. I like to see some new products, you know? <laughs> I think that's a, uh, I think that's kind of a cool mix for people to get, yeah. you, you know, their new products out and mix it in with kind of some of the bigger attractions. Um, but I thought, all in all, it's a really good mix, and uh, I had a really fun time checking out the bikes, chatting with some of the vendors and uh, some of the local reps there. But what were your thoughts? I know we kind of split ways and wandered around for a couple hours. Well, I, th- I, th- I really liked the way we did it. We went up with Norm, and it was just three of us in the car, and I took you guys on all the back roads and showed you where you need to ride your motorcycle next time. It was great. And then uh, we went in, and we just took off and walked for an hour on our own and then met back in a in a general area and compared notes and took off again and and that 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 worked out really good for me um i enjoyed getting time to sit down uh we've got a couple interviews coming up later in the show that we were able to pull off you did one of them i did one of them uh we got a lot of uh reader ids a lot of uh favorite rides so uh and i and i thought it was a good show um I didn't see a lot there that I hadn't seen, sure. and sometimes I go and I see bikes that we don't have in America. But uh, other than the uh, NC750, I don't recall seeing a bike we didn't have. I also noticed there was some bikes missing in the lineup up there that I had seen at the LA show. So like all the BMW uh, 310s, right. it wasn't there. And uh, I I don't think I saw the uh, little KTM 790 that's that's going to come around. A um, couple of uh, Ducati had a couple of prototypes in LA, but they didn't have them up here. But that's okay, you know. It's it's just it's a different every time I go. And uh, always a good group of people. I like it because it's a little tighter knit fabric. It's more yep. like the local people putting in. What they can, and that's what we'll see in March at the uh, Inland Northwest Motorcycle Show in Spokane. Good point. Coming up fast here, too. You know, and That's something that uh, you might want to start planning for now because that's an opportunity where if you're on the west side of the state here in Washington, a lot of us will have potentially, weather pending, a chance to actually make that a ride out to Spokane and check that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed that uh, some of the print magazines are gone or they weren't at the show. Yeah. And uh, and we've been watching this uh, going on here in the states with uh, Cycle World moving to a quarterly circulation. Now this is something that uh, I first got wind of. You had posted that on the Sound Rider Facebook page. We got a few comments on that. I got to tell you, I feel like this is a long time coming, right? I mean, this is that's the only way that these motorcycle magazines are going to be sustainable, uh, sustainable rather. And I really hope that this is also met with maybe a little bit of an uptick in quality too, where it becomes more of a sort of mini event for the subscriber. Maybe we see some higher quality photography and uh, a little bit more thought and research put into the individual pieces. Um, what are your thoughts, though, on switching to quarterly? Uh, well, I'd, I would tell you that uh, I have a couple of thoughts on that. All Number right. one, um, I discontinued my Cycle World subscription Oh, probably 15 years ago. Yeah. 
because it was just kind of rubbish. It wasn't really inspiring me in any way. I feel like a lot of it's it's pretty much racing world. Yeah, and it's hooligan world, and yeah. it's it's uh, you know just testing bikes here and there all yep. the time, and and I'm looking for more than that in a magazine. So you're you're right. Maybe that will lead them since they know they only have. Uh, you know, four issues a year, maybe they'll amp up the quality of what they put in editorial. I don't know. Yeah. Um, when I started Soundwriter back in 99, um, I, I wanted to do a print version, but I didn't have the money to make that happen. So it was an online-only publication. And I went to a print outfit here in Seattle who was successfully doing a sports magazine. Mm. And we sat down in a, in a meeting room for two hours and used a lot of uh, white paper and chalkboard and stuff. And we figured out all the uh, finances of it and looked at each other and said, nice to meet you. See you later. Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we knew that 18 years ago. Yeah. There's no way we could make a little local publication fly. There were, there were a couple that were trying to make it happen here back then. Sure. And uh, one of them lasted about three or four years. The other one lasted about three or four months. And I didn't want to be the next victim of that. So I'm kind of glad we just stuck with the, with the online. And I think that what, what Cycle World should have done – was gone to a they could have gone to a monthly easing format. Yeah. And they could have wooed their subscribers over and they could have said, look, you get a quarterly magazine or you can get the monthly easing. And I get a number of monthly easings. I get PC World. Uh I get that one that was started by Hugh Hefner years and years ago as yeah, an easing. Yeah. And when you open it up it's full page ads and you're seeing all the advertising. Uh, but they're not paying for printing presses. They're not paying for shipping. Uh, you're paying about the same amount of money. Right. And, you know, the subscriber base is lower. But, um, you know, it's 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 good stuff. And the other thing is, you know, you, you know, at the end of every December, I give you that big old box of magazines. Yes. And I hate having that stuff around my house. Just, go, you know, stuff I got to throw away or give to you. You so. know, and I'm with you on the recipiating end of that. What I do is I, I kind of call through those in, in batches and rip out articles that are of interest to me and then kind of read them on my own schedule. But uh, you're right. I mean, I've got still half of that stack that I'm working through, and uh, I keep looking at it every day. And it kind of begins to feel like a chore a little bit. Of course, I enjoy reading it, but uh, definitely a changing dynamic. You know, you mentioned the e-zine format, the e-zine format, mm-hmm. and uh, I wouldn't be surprised though if one of the reasons that they were hesitant to go full bore on that is because they do have established OEMs as advertisers who probably were like, "Hey, pump the brakes on a little bit. Like we're we're cutting the checks. We don't want to go to this full digital format yet because, as we know, the motorcycle industry can be, you know, a step or two behind on sometimes on the trends. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the driving factors to maybe. Keep it in print. Well, if you look over under my coffee table there, there's a copy of PC World from right. 2015, which is the very last print publication they produced. Sure. And they totally jumped from going to print to being only easing. And they had they had their OEM advertisers, their Hewlett Packers and their Asus and Intel and all that. And they pulled it off. But that's technology. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's it, it, nonetheless. I mean, you just you, you you you. That's why I said you tow people along. If you think it's going to be slow for Cycle World, you just tell the readers you're going to get it one of two ways. You get it quarterly in print, or you can get it monthly online as an easing. Right. Well, I think that's probably part of the process that they're going to go through here. But Somebody should have paid me about $50,000 for that advice. I think, though, that uh, you, you probably there's still a significant portion of the readership who is probably even 60-plus at this point um, who is maybe not going to be quite as savvy to do that initially. But So I they think, can have their quarterly publication. Yeah, and they will. If and, it was – you know, if, it, if, uh, if I was the guy running the show down there. But I think uh, – what do you think – Looking ahead, maybe a decade from now, because I have to imagine that the only print publications we're going to see in the motorcycle world are going to be special editions based off of what are primarily websites. So, how are you going to get your your eye candy and your your chutzpah for motorcycling? Are you going to get it by going on the web and looking at websites? Yeah. Or are you going to maybe subscribe to an e-zine here and there? I don't think uh, I don't think I would subscribe to anything that I would have to download in full. Um, I think I would only. I mean, quite frankly, I only read sources that are in what we would used to consider blog format, but then now it's taken over pretty much every sort of uh, you know, so distribution of information. The problem with the blog format is that you don't have the quality of editors at, at your disposal like you do if you have Clement Salvadori or you have Fred Rao. Well, I say, you know, I say blog format loosely, but what I mean is something that is going to be strictly online Mm-hmm. And is not going to be in a download format. Is going to be something that is accessible whenever I want it. And these guys like Clement and uh, Doctor Frazier uh, or yourself, even if you only publish something that is once a month, um, you know I'll be checking that site probably a couple of times each month, and I'll scroll through and I'll read and I'll read it that way. Well, I was going to say in your case, apparently we've been doing something right for eighteen years. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think uh, that you were ahead of the curve on that. Whether it was. Uh, intentional or uh, partially based on uh, the whole financial aspect of doing a an in-print publication i think uh, i think you nailed it and hey i'm looking forward to another 19 years oh good right <laughs> and, and, and so is my so or so is my right index finger my left index finger and the one next to it yeah the, those three fingers will be working for you those are the uh, typing fingers i assume <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole I did 120 words a minute with those three puppies look out <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, hunt and peck. But, uh, you know, it's really going to be interesting to see just the entire industry at large. And I think this is a little bit of the tip of the spear and the changes. I hope that this is going to mean new and better pathways for the entire industry that we're going to sort of hit the switch and the light's going to come on and we're going to figure out something that powers the industry, not just to be sustainable, but to grow over the next 12 to 15 years. And I, I certainly hope that uh, you and I are part of that. Oh, we will be. Right. We'll be we'll be at the head of it. So now we, we chatted about that for a while. We were going to talk about a couple of ways that you love your motorcycle here in the month of February. You want? Do we have time for that? What are your? Uh... Yeah, we got a, We got we got a minute. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what are some of the ways that you, Tom Aaron, love your multiple motorcycles. We're at uh, four still, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. How do I love them? Well, yeah. uh, they they sit in an indoor garage, but I still cover them. That is. That's true love there. That really keeps the dust off them. And yeah. every year, I annually take those covers out and wash them down because they get loaded with dust. Yeah. That's uh, that's true love, man. 
But the trouble is some of them, they drape over the whole bike. Yeah. And then when you wash them down on a hot summer day, you realize how, how many of the neighbor cats have peed on your bike ah, cover. That, that is oh, not love. Man, I tell you. That is not love. Do you have a lot of stray cats uh, down in the enclosed <laughs> garage here that we need to yeah, know Yeah, I got like the Brian Setzer Orchestra yeah. down there, man. <laughs> <laughs> just strutting away that's a uh that's a good call there uh, well uh i don't use a cover and actually i've had what the dr now for coming up on three years i think and i don't think i've ever washed it once i mean if you ask me that's true dual sport love i mean you wear every uh, speck of dirt every grime of uh glued on bug you wear that with pride and you i'm, you I'm gonna be over there scraping your bike yeah. and making men's cologne yeah the that's new right. sasquatch flavor cologne yeah i like that little sasquatch cologne you bottle that and we'll do that for about what 40 bucks uh 40 bucks an ounce something yeah, like that yeah you know whatever a tank of gas costs i don't know you get that with a uh, subscription to cycle world and you are four monthly magazines. no it's your zinio subscription <laughs> to uh Soundwriter. yeah there we go <laughs> What else do I do? Yeah. Um, eh, you know, change your oil before you run it again in the spring. Yeah, that's if you've good. Been letting it sit around all winter long. Um, sometimes I give them the year off. That's how I love them. I give them the year off. It's like the, the <laughs> registrations are so crazy here in Washington State. I just let some bikes take a year off. Yeah. What I just renewed mine, and what was it? A little over a hundred bucks or something like that. I think I can't. Uh... For DR three fifty, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, mine was... are running around between one and two hundred. Yeah, so I just give a few of them the year off. That's pretty good. That's a good little uh, compensation package that they have. Um, uh, and then some of them I'm actually going to give them uh, collector's plates, and we're going to add. So like like my NX six fifty is nineteen eighty eight, right? So it's getting the collector's plate this year. Is thirty years the cutoff, or yeah? Well, it used to be twenty five, but well, then when nobody wanna you know, when everybody wanna turn your bikes into collector bikes and you know, the thing about the collector bike is you're not supposed to ride it right. unless you're doing an event. Yep. So we're adding separate categories to the Sasquatch tour. Yeah. Or, we're we're going to have the uh, the vintage class of the Sasquatch Tour. I Anybody who brings a bike 30 years or older uh, <laughs> might get a, a prize on the last day of the tour. I, don't uh, know. I love that. That's a great setup. Another good way to uh, show your love for motorcycling there. Take it on the Sasquatch Tour coming yeah. up in, uh, what, July this year down in Oregon, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, I, I've got three bikes that are 30-plus years old now. And you know I love them because I've been with them for 30 years. You know, collectively, I've been with them for 90 years. That is crazy. And none of them ever went on social media and did a hashtag Me Too. <laughs> so you know that I'm a good man. I take care of them, and I love them. I think you've got some uh, steel frames in your closet, though, somewhere. We'll just wait for that to come <laughs> out. All right. Um, did you have anything else you want to say about loving your motorcycle? No, I think uh, I think we've delved into that topic enough. We should uh, look ahead to maybe the news bites and uh, some calendar items, don't you think? What year is your DR350? It's a 1996. Okay, I think you should go to the DOL yeah. and tell them you want to register it as a classic. And they'll say, but you can't because it's 1996. And you'll say, yeah, but the the technology is like 1985. Yeah. So you've got to let me get away with it. I think uh, that's a good maybe memorandum we should put forth is that we should try to petition the city council to get that passed. It should be based on the technological innovation, not the manufacturers here. That's right. <laughs> I'm totally with you. 
Yeah, that's a good idea you had. Okay, uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we got uh, news bites, got calendar, we got some interviews from out of uh, the great north. We'll be right back. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by Adventure Motorsports, Snohomish County's largest selection of Yamaha and Suzuki motorcycles, ATVs, quads, and UTVs are available in Monroe at Adventure Motorsports. Celebrating a decade of top-rated sales, service, parts, and accessory support, hit the road and visit Adventure Motorsports today. Hi, my name is Dan Muir. I'm from Silverdale, Washington. I ride, among other bikes, an R1150GS, and my favorite local ride is to uh, head up to Port Townsend in the afternoon just for a cup of coffee. This is David Christensen with Tucker Rocky, and you're listening to The Soundwriter Show. on the Sound Rider Show. And I'm going to start off this segment. I think we're going to do news bites and the calendar, but I got a little piece of trivia for you, Tom. Ooh. Let See me, if I can win. Yeah, let me ask you this. What do you think that the Sound Rider Show's average rating is on iTunes? Uh, zero, because uh, what, they didn't have like 10 people yet, did they? That is incorrect. We are actually five stars, and we have only 11 reviews, but every one of them is five stars, and that's as high oh, as you can Oh, man. Get. Thank you, everybody. So this is a five-star motorcycle podcast, and we're going to give you some five-star news bites and some five-star calendar uh, yeah. events coming up here. But I just wanted to mention that because, uh, of course, we do thank those 11 people for voting us five stars, but if you haven't had a chance... Get out there and uh, give us some love on the old rating system. Shameless plug, but uh, we do love it when you listen. I don't know your names, and I don't have enough fingers to count through it all, but, but Not thank after you. the accident. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I used to have 12, right. 12 <laughs> fingers and thumbs because I was polydactyl. I was born polydactyl. Yeah, and uh, that was what made you such a uh, prolific uh, typer, 120 words per minute. So, Well, I was saving the other nine digits. <laughs> <laughs> but let's jump into it here. Where uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with news bites, or uh... um, let's talk about this Idaho seventy eighty thing? Yeah. So I was uh, reading, I think, in the Idaho Statesman, and uh, right now Idaho is one of a handful of states that has two speed limits. So, for instance, you will see on some of the more rural roads there, eighty miles an hour for cars and seventy miles an hour for commercial trucks. And a, uh, I believe a senator there has introduced a bill to get rid of that 70-mile-an-hour speed limit for commercial trucks and make it, you know, whatever the, the area speed limit is, to make that applicable to all vehicles, motorcycles included. And I uh, kind of want to get your thoughts on that. What do you think about the, the uptick in speed there? Well, I think that where this actually occurs in Idaho is in a pretty secluded area called yeah. Interstate 84? Yeah, 84 runs east to west, right? And kind of goes down to Pocatello. I think it's 84. Yeah. Yeah. Boise to Pocatello, I think you'll see that. You think there's a – and I I can't – I don't know. And then maybe there's Interstate 15 running north-south. So that's probably the only two places where this is going to apply. Yeah, I would think on the interstate. But I think the idea, though, is that any of the uh, roads 
where there is a difference in speed that it would be applied. So I think some of the roads at 65 and 55, I think it would be then 65 for commercial trucks there. Because hmm. I, I don't know, I'm just running through my database of roads I've ridden in Idaho, and the sure. ones that are just, you know, like uh, state routes or whatever, pretty dumbed down around a 60, maybe it's 60 and 55. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble... Imagining trying to pass a semi who's going seventy five because he's not going eighty right on a motorcycle and hitting his draft the wrong way. <laughs> oh yeah, on a motorcycle on a so, dr three fifty. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what the uh, Idaho State Patrol people have to say because well, a lot of times this stuff gets swayed between a Senate and a House. Yeah. Uh, based on what the state patrol says. I've got, I've got a feeling, though, you know, over the last couple of years, well, really the last decade, there has been a pretty big influx of manufacturing uh, companies from California in particular that have relocated to the greater Boise area. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some push on this to say, hey, we are exporting a lot more product now. And we need to speed up to get out of the mm. state. So I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. I think we talked about this on the last show, too, is that Idaho it has a, a pretty expanding population oh, percentage-wise, sure. yeah. more than almost anywhere else they in the growing. Pacific Northwest. Yeah, growing rapidly. It's easy to see why. It's beautiful there. But another thing that kind of caught my eye, and I didn't know this, they closed on this article, but I think in 2015 they passed a law that uh, it was legal in Idaho – to exceed the speed limit by 15 miles an hour when passing, um, a, when passing a vehicle on two-lane roads, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Do we have anything that, like that that applies here in Washington that you're aware of? My, my mental database tells me there's something on the books in Washington where if you're doing a pass, you can go up to 10 over. Okay. Uh, and then other people would dispute that and say, no, 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 that doesn't exist. But I have heard of that going by – um and and I don't have a problem with that, you know. If I need to pass somebody that's puttering along yeah. or you know, and everybody wants to go five over, and then there's all the people who want to go ten over, which will get you a ticket. Sure. Uh and then there's the people who want to go twenty, twenty-five yeah. over. And that's that's what we call reckless driving, so you can get a ticket for that and it'll hurt. But uh, I don't have a problem with that. That I sounds mean, like a good one to me. It makes sense. You should want to sort of expedite your time in the oncoming traffic lane, right? The last thing you want is for somebody to pull out behind an RV that's going three under the speed limit and then worry about getting a speeding ticket as they take you know 10 miles to pass the thing. Like you should get out. You should hit the accelerator. You should get in front, and then you should brake as necessary to bring your speed down or let sort of – I usually get a, a pretty good lead, and then I come yeah. back into the lane and just drop the throttle down. Uh, so where does this leave you, though? I mean, you have a motorcycle that has a top speed of maybe 65. Oh, no. That thing, well, I, I, I get that going uh, over 80 miles an hour. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. It's not- I, I'm, I'm, I was trying to think of you going like 65, 70 miles an hour, and then a semi is trying to pass you at 85. It is. Uh, I have been in some very brutal situations. Um, I will not lie to you there. But believe it or not, I've put on quite a few 500-mile days on the old DR350, and I'm not doing that at uh, – 60 miles an hour, I'm usually – I'm ringing it out pretty good, but I'm doing you know 70 miles an hour. You should get like a 1962 Volkswagen van. I think I think it would really feel just right in there. You know? <laughs> and put the DR350 in the back. 
Is that <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> no, you could tow the van with the DR three fifty and it breaks down. Now we're talking, but uh, <laughs> interesting, uh, interesting little developments out there in Idaho that we'll we'll kind of keep an eye on and see if anything like that uh, gains momentum. But what else and, do we have in the and, queue? And speaking of Idaho, let's uh, talk about one of the other provinces, uh, Quebec. Yeah. Uh, f- the the four month rule is that what they call it? Yeah, well, I don't know if they call it that locally, but I had a very interesting conversation from the aforementioned Vancouver Motorcycle Show. I was talking to uh, one of the product managers at Ducati, who is based in Montreal, and he happened to ma- mention to me rather casually that uh, in Quebec, in that province anyway, where it is known for its harsh cold, from December fifteenth to March fifteenth. Uh, They have regulations on motorcycle travel, on all travel apparently, but I did a little research into it because initially my understanding was that you couldn't ride a motorcycle without a special one-day permit from December 15th to March 15th. But it turns out that you can only – all vehicles during that time period have to have winter tires, specific winter tires. So in in, in the the case of vehicles, that would mean like studded snow tires. So – the, what I could find from I, – and I only did a little bit of research on this, so that is uh, – take this with a grain of uh, road salt, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, with a grain of road yeah. salt. Um, but basically, it's actually – I think it comes down to the, the physical rubber compound because standard rubber tires in that sort of blistering cold – Oh, so we're talking about stiped tires. Well, not even stiped, but even like the way that the, the actual rubber is sort of composited, it needs to be – a little more flexible. It needs to be able to hold up to those harsher temperatures so that it can mold to the road. Because essentially, I guess what happens is the tires just freeze, and then you lose your surface area, you lose your traction, and it becomes you know sort of exponentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of relating this you know strictly to motorcycles, apparently there's only two or three models of motorcycle tires that meet this specification. So for an all practicality in Quebec or in Montreal, you're not going to be riding your motorcycle from December 15th to March 15th. But I found this to be kind of a very interesting factoid that, you know, if you get a nice day in, in March, which certainly doesn't seem to be out of the question, you may be uh, homebound. I bet they won't pull you over, though. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I, it's, a, it's a very good question. The Mounties in Quebec are uh, not my specialty. So um, this sounds to me you, – you say compound. I say stiping because I have AT tires on my uh, – on my Honda Element, and the last time I went to buy them, I said, "Hey, uh, can I pay you guys to stipe them?" Mm-hmm. And they said, "No, now they come stiped already." Interesting. So, uh, to a certain degree, that's considered a winter tire. And then, and then you can go further, and you could stud up a set of tires and have snow tires that way. Um, and we know someone down in Hood River who puts uh, screws into his tires, just like ice racing. Right. And when the roads ice up down in Hood River, he's riding around on a sidecar with with uh, tires that have screws in them, ice screws. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some footage of that, uh, people racing on lakes and that kind of thing. I don't think they'd appreciate that on the pavement, though. In particular, do you? Oh, it's just one little side. (laughs) He's the only crazy one. Yeah, I... uh, You know I'm talking about you, Vernon, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) A little soundwriter call out there, but uh, it's it's interesting anyway. You know, I had never really considered uh, too much anyway, that sort of technological aspect of uh, wintertime riding, but gave me something to think about even here where the temperatures are much more mild. I don't know if that would be something to look into. 
Yeah, I don't think you're going to see it here. And it'd probably go away in Quebec because global warming is happening fast. So uh, those those uh, freezing four months are going to be gone before you know it. Right, or either that they'll start in August, and then we'll really have uh, problems on our hands. We'll have to yeah. rewrite the entire legislation. So Yeah, you know, they'll be having 60-degree days in February, and then <laughs> five years later, all of a sudden, one day in October, it'll freeze. That's the way it goes. Um, this one was kind of interesting. Uh, old motorcycle company, Excelsior Henderson, not mm. the first, might be the last, but um, up on the auction block at the Mecham, and we're actually recording this show ahead of the auction, so we don't know the outcome of the uh, of of the auction, but we know that there's one Excelsior Henderson motorcycle down there. Mm-hmm. They're asking for $490,000 for it. That's wow. the opening price. And then uh, we don't know what they're going to ask for the assets of the Excelsior Henderson company, which kind of ended in the early 2000s. Uh, you get yourself probably a whole bunch of nice uh, tooling for a motor that's not even current anymore. Not relevant, yeah. Uh, you get the brand, you get the you get the rights to the logo, and I don't know. So it's going to be interesting to see what that all sells for. Um, seems like it's kind of late in the game for them to be selling it on the auction block, but I guess that tells us that they weren't able to get someone like Polaris or Harley or anybody else to buy the name. Well, that's an interesting factoid because that's where my mind went initially was that it would have to be one of those major OEMs, either either Harley-Davidson or Polaris under the Indian moniker to kind of revamp that, but... It's got to be an established company. I don't think anybody would go in unless you got a really, you know, screaming deal where you thought you could make up that money on maybe merchandise alone. But that's a pretty big undertaking, isn't it? Yeah, maybe maybe Polaris should go and sell all the Victory uh, brand and and the yeah. tooling and everything. Yeah, just pa- I package it all together. I'd hmm. say just do a whole defunct motorcycle sale. We'll get uh, Buell in there and uh, you know whatever else it takes and just. <laughs> Block it all off at once. in chunks. Yeah. <laughs> well, no one ever tried to sell a Buell before, did they? I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's what see. I. That's probably the last Buell probably sold for four hundred ninety thousand dollars too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh sure. Um. Let's see. We we fixed up the dealer directory. We published that in January yeah. and got a lot of nice reaction out of people on that. So definitely, if you haven't looked at the dealer directory, uh, take a look and you see what's going on here in the Pacific Northwest. Who's got what? Uh, it's kind of interesting. I was talking to a vendor the other day up at the show in Vancouver, and he said that when they redid their book for Northern California, the uh, the dealer, 40% of the dealers had gone under. Wow. Over uh, since they did the original publication back, I think in 2010. Woo! So uh, that was interesting. It's a rough eight years. I didn't notice that we had so many dealers go under, and I did notice quite an influx of new dealers in Idaho. Yep. Um, and then we just redid the services directory and got that all up to date, uh, and that'll publish this month in February. Um. If you know somebody who offers a service that's not in our directory, you can let us know about them. Just hit us on the contact page on SoundRider. Um, there's 
There's one huge gap we have, and that's painters. We don't have painters like we used to have painters around. You know, we lost a couple here in Seattle over the last few years. At least one uh, comes to mind. But uh, what do you attribute that change to? Do you think maybe we're seeing less custom bikes uh, with kind of the tail end of the adventure craze coming on here? or No, I attribute it to environmental regulations. Interesting. So a lot yeah. of these mom and pop uh, shops were maybe had to retool and could no longer offer painting. You couldn't think? couldn't offer painting because it couldn't offer the environmental uh, level that that's required by the city now. Is that the same problem that we have in Seattle here with barbecue too? They won't let people operate the smokers in some of these uh Oh uh, no, they just don't want you lighting the smoker in your house. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> when it's cold out. Yeah. Well, see, that's a bonus tip and trick well before the end of the show here. Don't light a smoker in your house. But uh, that's uh, that's an interesting change. Did you notice any other sort of trends when you were going through and updating these? Did you notice any drop-off in uh, dealers in Oregon and Washington? It was about flat. Okay. I think, uh, I think we actually started – when I started the project, we had 175 dealers, and now we, now we have it cleaned up. We've taken out the deadwood, and we're looking at about 184, and probably most of the, the additions are in Idaho. Right. Uh, a lot of shuffling, a um, lot of Can-Am dealers that went up and down. You know, they just they moved it out of one store and moved it down the block to another store. Um, interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, we mention it from time to time here as well, but it's really important to get out and support the local dealers too. We know we can buy things like helmets and gloves and that kind of stuff online, but uh, it's great to have places where you can get your bike serviced, also buy new motorcycles, and a lot of these shops are going to be relying on you to buy accessories and apparel to kind of keep that train rolling. So get and, on to And a lot of them will match internet prices. Too. Yeah, for so. sure. Yep, good point. But uh, important to get on there and check out the uh, directory and visit some of the dealers in your area. All right, let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll have the calendar. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible by... The MotoFit Group, providing track days in both Oregon and Washington. The MotoFit Group helps riders experience the next level of their riding abilities and takes them to the zone where the bike and rider become one. Find out more or sign up for a track day today at themotofitgroup.com. Hi, this is Ian. I live in Seattle. I ride a Kawasaki Versus, and this summer I'm going to be riding off-road in the Oregon desert. Hi, this is Scott from Arai Americas, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Back on the Soundwriter Show, I'm Tom Marin, the publisher, and I'm here with Derek Roberts, our co-host. And we're going to talk about the calendar. Now, of course, it's February, yeah. so you wouldn't imagine a whole lot's going on, but there are quite a few events going on. Uh, it's what we call our usual suspects, so right. I guess it's going to kind of be the highlight for our usual suspects. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a uh, short month, so uh, if you can't find something on the uh, calendar here to kind of strike your fancy, maybe just get out and ride in honor of, uh, I don't know, Washington's birthday or Lincoln's birthday or something like that, right? Yeah, or Oregon's birthday or Idaho's birthday. There you go, know. yeah. <laughs> Pick a state or a president and get out there and enjoy it. So uh, first one I see here is uh, Northwest Extreme 
flat track racing down in Puyallup happening on the 3rd as well as on the 24th. We do talk about this one fairly often. Yeah, we do, but uh, I think it's a pretty popular event, right? Oh, yeah. And we're going to be adding uh, all the Canadian flat track stuff to the schedule because I got that now. Great. Uh, We do have all the Spokane flat track racing uh, on, so everybody out on the east side, they can check that out. Um, That's on Saturday the 3rd. Also on Saturday the 3rd, the Gootsy meetup at the Crane Corner. You don't have to have a Gootsy, but if you were ever thinking about getting one and you wanted to be – Kind of brainwashed into it. I think I'd go to that breakfast at Crane Corner. It doesn't take much, man. Looking at some of those models, again, revisiting that at the uh, Vancouver show. And, yeah, just some great, great-looking motorcycles. They are. Yeah. And uh, Crane Corner, once again, down in uh, Enumclaw area. Uh, and you can always use our calendar and, and get more details and links to where all these places are. Yep. Uh, let's see. I got a bunch of arrows going on around here. Uh, Sunday the 4th, the uh, Washington State BMW riders have a ride going on. And I believe that one this this month is going to happen up in the north end, like Snohomish and Skagit County. So if you live up that way, and again, you don't have to have a BMW to go ride with everybody. That's right. Come as you are. It would probably help if you had heated grips, but you don't have to have a heated uh, a, a, a BMW. Yeah, heated something anyway. And if you do have a BMW, you better have heated grips for what you paid for that thing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't they just be standard now? I, I feel think, like I they, they should be, yeah. some of them. But if you're riding, I guess, an older one, maybe. Uh, see, uh, Georgetown, Old Bike Night. That's a regular one. First Wednesday of every month. Happens down in Georgetown, of course. And... Uh, it's a lot less traffic down there. Yeah, in for the sure. Winter. Definitely. But you'll still see some old iron. Yeah, and although it is uh, gentrifying uh, pretty fast down there, so never plan for no traffic here in Seattle. Whatever didn't sell at the Meekum auction, yeah. auction is going to be at the old bike night in Georgia. There you go. <laughs> That's our <laughs> promise to you. Uh, let's see. What else? Um Something go. Oh, here we go. The uh, One Motorcycle Show. Yeah. That's going on uh, Friday and Saturday down in Portland. So um always have some cool bikes down there. Is this the fourth or fifth year now? I don't know, but I was just thinking the other day, and this kind of uh, re-triggered that. I need to this summer, I need to go and spend about five days in Portland just sort of reviewing and investigating the motorcycle scene because it seems like they have some really cool stuff going you on down there. You want to borrow my one piece? You want me to go down there now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, get I'm on saying the... ride uh, down there on your bike. Yeah, get I'll on give there. me my one piece and you have to add in your own heated seat and heated grips. Right. Are you talking about uh, your Olympia one piece or your yeah. cat suit one piece? My Olympia. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're on the same page yeah, there. It might ride a little high on you, yeah, but it'll, maybe. Be, it'll fit you. I got gotcha. you. You're not 175, are you? No, I don't quite uh, tip the scales at, at quite that much, but yeah. maybe a couple more years, right? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Start eating like me, you might. <laughs> uh, see, um, February 14th. Ooh, that's Valentine's Day. Yeah. Take your Valentine down to Seattle. Use bikes. You'll love that. 
for some barbecue yeah. and, some, and some bikes. Buy her a motorcycle, right? They got some good – they got a pretty good selection down there. I drive yeah. by every couple Go of early, days. buy it, and then you can sit around and eat barbecue at yeah. 5 o'clock and watch her ride it around the parking lot. See where the night takes you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another regular here is uh, Saturday the 17th. Uh, Motoguzi Ride and Feed, which is held down in Oregon. You'll have to use our website to get to their website, and that will tell you where it's going to be this month because they don't publish that ahead of time. Sure. Uh, on the 18th, we have the Motoguzi Owners Brunch here in Seattle at Smarty Pants. Yeah, again, down in Georgetown. You know, I got a smartphone, but I don't think I got smart pants yet. You know, did you see, uh, not to get too far off topic here, but did you see a couple of months ago, Lee, I think it was, no, Levi's, they came out with a uh, a smart denim jacket, and uh, you can kind of like swipe on the sleeves to activate like your smartphone and stuff. Did you see any of this? No. Oh, well, I, my first inclination was to see if we'll... The last time I wore Levi's was when I was mining in California for gold. <laughs> yeah. Back in uh, 1849, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, down before uh, you purchased the initial rights to the Excelsior Henderson brand. But, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it was my s- smart mining jacket, right? Uh, what? But the reason that caught my attention was because we haven't seen anything like that in motorcycle apparel yet, and I wonder if we'll see any sort of transition to because the idea was you were supposed to be like a bicyclist in your denim jacket, you could swipe to activate your phone. Oh, my God. I can imagine the first version of what you're talking about. (laughs) It'll be something that's checking your pulse all the time, and as soon as your pulse doesn't activate the sensor, then it connects with a spot and calls 911. Well, I'd rather have it connect with uh, 911 than the uh, local thrift store where they just come and scrape your jacket off and then sell it. Yeah, but I don't don't want 911 coming to McDonald's to get me. Well, <laughs> if you drop dead at McDonald's, isn't that the place for uh, for them to come and get you? Well, yeah, but by that point, I'm already dead. By the time they get there, it won't do them any good. Well, if you're if you're uh, eating at McDonald's, your your soul's probably already on its way out the door anyway. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, back to the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get out of here? I don't know. Uh, last one on here. We got uh, flat track racing in Spokane on Friday. The 24th of February. Nice. Uh, But I have a couple that I want to mention that are coming up in March. Um, Number one on uh, March 1st is the first day you can ride the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour. Of course, you have uh, like, like, uh, like 210 days to ride it. So you don't have to hit all the cafes on March 1st. Yep. But if you do... I'm sure the State Patrol has a special surprise for you. <laughs> and um, it'll be 15 cafes. I've just finished the list. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of good flavors out there. It's yeah. all over the place. I've got one in Canada, a couple in Idaho, a couple in Oregon, a bunch in Washington. We're kind of cleaning out the all the backlog of places we've been collecting that we haven't been able to add in yeah and just for you know because we've we've picked up a lot of new listeners over the last couple of months cafe to cafe of course is uh you sign up you get uh sort of your package in the mail the list of 15 cafes in the pacific northwest and then you ride to those cafes at your leisure and there's a a scorekeeping system involved kind of a nice way to encourage yourself to get out and ride but 
no pressure. It's not like a pre-scheduled tour or anything like that. And if you like to eat when you go and ride anyway, right. this is a chance for you to get to introduce to some restaurants that aren't Subway yeah. or Burger King or on a main road. There might be a block off of when you're riding through town. Yep. So uh, Some undiscovered gems for a lot of us out and there. And we know we have a lot of people who sign up because they just want the list. Yeah. So – and you have until October officially to uh, complete that, so right? September 30th. September 30th. There yep. you go. Uh, then we got the uh, Inland Motorcycle Show in Spokane at the fairgrounds. That's coming on uh, 9, 10, and 11 of March. And uh, we're going to be there this year. We'll have a booth down Great. there. And so uh, if you live out that way or you're going to ride out there, we want you to come by the booth and say hi to myself and Connie. And is this year three or year four? Oh, no, no, no. This is no. like eight or nine, I think. I don't think it's ten yet. I thought it went away for uh, a couple of years no, and then no, came no, back. No, not, it's not been – okay. No, what they did was they had it at the, the Spokane Convention Center for okay. a while. I gotcha. And then uh, in order to double their money, they moved it out to the fairground for about half the price. So. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. And then I, I – I'm not – Totally positive on this date, but we're ahead enough, and I'll get it in the calendar, but I believe it's on uh, Saturday, March 3rd, Skagit Power Sports will have their annual swap meet. Uh, the tables are 15 bucks, so wow. for 15 bucks, you come in, you get a table, spread out all the stuff you need to get rid of, get rid of some of it, and enjoy the company of all the rest of us. Um, I will be there with a table. Great. I guess I'm going to be busy in March, huh? Yeah, it sounds like it. Huh. A great opportunity, though, to get uh, all those sort of summertime projects lined up and organized here in March, right? You start culling through some parts, clear out the stuff you don't need, start planning for March and uh, the months ahead to start working on your bikes and your projects and get all that stuff where it needs to be so you can ride it this summer. Yeah. And when all I got is 946 square feet here in a condo, <laughs> I need you to come and buy this stuff and get it out of here. All right, let's take a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to jump right into your interview with uh, Cycle BC. Yep. And then we can probably talk a little bit in between, and then we'll have another interview after that. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by Skagit Power Sports. Check out the North Sound's largest selection of bikes from names like Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, and Suzuki. Located just off I-5 in Burlington, Skagit Power Sports also features a large selection of riding gear, apparel, and an experienced staff to help you along the way. Visit Skagit Power Sports today. Hi, I'm Ron Fox. I live on the Kitsap Peninsula in the town of Polsbo. My favorite ride down here is the Vista House. The curves are great, the road is in great shape, and it is fun. Hi, everybody. This is Ryan Brown from Seattle Cycle Center, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. On the Sound Rider Show at the Vancouver International Motorcycle Show, and I'm here with Mike Gatt from Cycle BC. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well today. 
Great. So, uh, Mike, we wanted to talk to you a little bit here because we're checking in with some of the vendors. And, you know, one of the things that we noticed being part of the motorcycle community, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, is there aren't a lot of rental outfits. But you guys seem to have a great setup here in Vancouver. Yeah, definitely. We carry uh, everything cruisers, sport touring, adventure touring bikes. We've been in business for about 25 years. Uh, and with the difficult winters and all that sort of stuff, we've been able to make a go of it. Yeah, it seems like a really terrific selection. And I know you mentioned to me that initially you guys started out with bicycles and scooters, it sounds like. But now we're sitting here and we see a GS1200. It looks like uh, adventure bikes are one of the big items on the menu. Definitely. Uh, we kind of are market-driven. So by customer demand, we're buying new bikes uh, for what the customers want to ride. And you know, the venture touring segment seems to be the fastest-growing uh, segment of the market. Well, that's definitely something that we've seen down in the States now as well. Would you say that the uh, adventure touring bikes are the, you know, the fastest renters here up in uh, Vancouver as well? Definitely. I think they fit well into BC as a landscape. We've got a ton of uh, rugged logging roads and other areas to explore, so it really opens up the province. So let's talk about that a little bit, because that's one of the things that we always are talking about, particularly down in the Seattle area where we're based, is, you know, where are some of the good areas to ride on adventure touring bikes? Because we know where those are at in Washington and Idaho and Oregon. We're known for our logging roads. But when you get up into B.C., it's a little bit different. There's uh, some more environmental restrictions, uh, a lot more straight line roads. But I still I know that there's some great secret roads out there and some secret areas to kind of ride to. Definitely. You guys are spoiled down in the States uh, with the uh, Oregon Discovery Route and the Washington. You guys have done a great job in developing the infrastructure that you have, uh, so that's quite commendable. Uh, like you said, we have a lot more restrictions on where you can travel. Vancouver Island, unfortunately, it's quite restricted with uh, what's referred to as crown land and private sales, so like logging companies where you don't have access. As you get more into the mainland, though, uh, there's uh, Harrison Lake, which is just a short drive out away from Vancouver. The east side of Harrison Lake is an incredible road that will take you north up and you can connect over to Pemberton. Uh, there's also an area called the Hurley Pass, um, and so that's north of Pemberton again. So there's quite a few areas where you can connect uh, with just within an hour or two of a uh, drive from Vancouver. And I'm sure that's just kind of scratching the surface. But, you know, one of the things that really stood out, again, uh, looking at some of your pricing here, are really affordable rates, particularly compared to, you know, when we shop around and look down in, like, California, we see some expensive rental rates, but you guys look really reasonable. Yeah, a big strength for us is the Canadian dollar. Um, especially if you're coming up from the States, your dollar just goes so much farther in Canada across the board. We really position ourselves internationally. So a lot of times when we're competing with different companies, we're looking at someone is maybe thinking of going to New Zealand or going to Europe, and they're trying to plan a motorcycle holiday. So we're trying to put ourselves in a position that's competitive uh, internationally. And do you happen to know, though, this is kind of the million-dollar question, what is the exchange rate right now? I was thinking that it was about two-thirds of uh, what the American dollar is. Do you happen to know? I think we're hovering around 80 cents uh, to the dollar right now. Okay, so still, though, I mean, we're talking about 20% off compared to what you might find down in the States. And when we look at one of these big adventure bikes, what uh, can we expect for, like, a daily rate or a weekly rate from you guys? So the rentals, uh, the longer you have the bikes, the less expensive they are. Uh, For the 1200GS, that's our highest tier. It starts at $200 Canadian a day. Eventually, after about 14 days, it drops down to about $150 a day. So that seems extraordinarily reasonable. Now, what about on the low end, say, if somebody were looking to do some touring, what kind of options do you have there? Um, One of the really popular bikes has been the Honda CB500X. We also have the CB500F. I should mention all of our bikes come free of charge with side cases and a top box, uh, and typically with windscreens, so we have everything set up and good to go, and there's no hidden fees or any extra costs like that. Um, But yeah, the little 500s are fantastic 
easy touring bikes and they start at $130 a day and they even go less than 100 bucks a day uh, for the longer trips. And of course we're talking all Canadian dollars on those prices. So what, uh, what do you think is kind of the most common for people when they do rent from you guys? Are they looking to do multi-day touring? You know, we serve uh, a local audience and an international audience. So we have a ton of locals who've sold their bikes. They're just looking to get back out on the road. Uh, and it's a good option instead of ownership if they're not riding a lot in the year. Uh, but with a lot of our international clients, they're going anywhere from a week up to a month. And we actually have guys that go all the way up north up to the top of Prudhoe Bay. It's the northern tip of Alaska. Nice. We have guys that go down the Redwoods in California. Uh, we're trying to push, you know, like Yosemite and touring in the States a lot more. Uh, we're just a much more affordable option. People don't really think of starting their American road trip in Canada, but you can save a lot of money doing it. Well, you know, and I think, uh, of course, we have a lot of listeners that are going to be regional to Idaho, Oregon, and Seattle, you know, Washington. One of the things that stood out to me was, hey, I could take the train, I could do the Cascade route up into uh, Vancouver, and then I could ride around in Canada for a few days. Do you have quite a few people take advantage of that? Definitely. We have quite a few people take advantage of that. Now, here's what would be your suggestion to someone like myself? Let's say I wanted to spend, you know, five days. I'm going to take the train up. I'm in Seattle. I come up. I stop by Cycle BC, and I pick up my uh, CB500X. What would be uh, the direction you might point me in? I'd definitely point you in towards the interior. Um, going up, if you even want to push it a little bit, Banff and Jasper. Uh, it's a fantastic route going up north outside of Vancouver, going to what we refer to as the Duffy Lake Pass. Uh, once you get past Whistler, it's a remote, completely windy, twisty road. Uh, we have a lot less roads in Canada than what you have in, down in the States, uh, but the roads that we do have are very good as long as you really stay off of Highway 1, which is the uh, Trans-Canada Highway that links coast to coast. Um, there's a lot less cars and there's a lot of nothing up here, but that's a big advantage because you can just be on these remote roads, uh, no other traffic, and no police, which is a little bit of a benefit too. <laughs> and he says that with a big smile there, so I think that's a good. Maybe that's an argument for the, uh, the GS1200 here, right? A little bit more top speed. Now, uh, kind of the last question that I wanted to get you out on, actually two follow-ups to that. One, uh, what about the camping conditions? Because a lot of our riders like to camp. What uh, kind of recommendations can you make for people who do want to maybe do tent camping along the way? So camping uh, in the last couple of years has really exploded in BC. Uh, we're getting a lot more international travelers, whether it's in RVs or doing road trips. Um, that are going to our provincial uh, campsites. So the provincial campsites will always have showers and bathrooms and clean facilities and a ranger, uh, but they do tend to book out months ahead in advance. So if you are looking to do the provincial campgrounds, it's best to plan ahead and try to get a route and book everything uh, preemptively. Uh, outside of that, there's a lot of other uh, private campgrounds uh, and they'll range anywhere in cost, but they'll be more expensive than the provincial and they might provide more facilities or stuff that's a little more rugged. Uh, where you don't even have bathrooms. Gotcha. There's always going to be fun, something you can find, but I definitely do need a plan ahead. Well, I think that's a great tip. And uh, how much riding have you ever done? This is kind of the last question I had for you. Have you ever done any riding down in the States? Are you familiar with uh, Washington? It sounds like you kind of know about the back roads and that kind of thing, but what's your experience stateside? Yeah, actually, every single year, uh, the end of September, uh, I go on a group ride with a bunch of friends, and we go down the Cascades over to Winthrop. Uh, this last year, we connected all the way over to Idaho, other times we go down through uh, central Washington. There's so much amazing riding down there with like Dry Falls and Grand Coulee Dam. Uh, you know, it's just, we have great riding in BC, but there's also amazing riding just right over the border. Uh, and there's just so much to explore. And that's one of the things too with your bikes, when you do rent, you can go back and forth between the States and Canada. Yeah, there's no restrictions on crossing the border. Man, well, you really can't beat that. Well, I tell you what, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the Sound Rider Show. Uh, do you have a website that our listeners can check out Cycle BC at? Definitely. You guys can check us out online at www.cyclebc.ca. 
We have all the bike lists up there with full rates. We also have routes. So if you're just looking to uh, for information about BC, it's a great place to start. Mike Gatt with Cycle BC. Thanks again for joining us on the Sound Rider Show. Yeah. So okay, Derek. Um, interview's over. Yep. I had the headphones on the whole time, and I had a ton of questions that I wanted to ask, and I couldn't bust in because you had the mic, and uh, and you had Mike along with the mic. Right. And uh, so it wasn't so much questions I had, but um, I just wanted to point out to people that the selection of motorcycles these guys have are primarily adventure dual sport and sport touring in fact they only have four cruiser bikes in the whole fleet yeah you're absolutely right and that is a good thing to highlight and uh we talked i think a little bit about the sort of the gap of uh adventure motorcycles with the cb500 on the low end and then the africa twin and the gs well we might, we might not have mentioned the africa twin but see i don't think we did yeah but you're right there's everything in between and there's ktms there. in there you're absolutely right yeah. triumph explorer in there and so people really need to get on that website and just get familiar with what they have yeah it might not be something you do tomorrow or or a month from now but all of a sudden a buddy might call from france because you know we all got a buddy in france yeah who doesn't and uh, this, this could be a really cool way to put together a little tour for the two of you and uh, go up, get the bikes. If you don't want to ride in Canada, you can bring them into the U.S. and ride right. them here. So, uh, well, and another thing to consider, too, because we do have a lot of listeners that are outside the Pacific Northwest, don't sleep on uh, flying into Vancouver. And then, you know, spend, if you're going to spend a week of touring, true. going to Vancouver, you can get a great rate, some great motorcycles, take it down into Washington here, spend maybe a few days in the greater Seattle area, uh, maybe check out Sound Rider to look for a few rides in Washington, and then circle back up north and you'll have a, a hell of a time. I promise you that. Yeah, yeah. And just make yourself familiar with the uh, laws going in and out of Canada. Like, uh, you can't pack your sidearm into Canada. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're coming from, you know, if you're coming from Texas, bring your long gun because you can't <laughs> get your pistol. Anywhere, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I was pretty impressed with what these guys are doing. I think they're doing a great job, yeah. and uh, I want to see it happen here in the U.S. I don't think we have anybody who's quite as diverse offering rentals the way that these guys do. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I know there's a few, I think, uh, more Harley-oriented uh, mm-hmm. rentals and for a while down in portland i knew of a place that had some v-stroms but i think he's still there he's still there okay but that's it that's all he has yeah so, so there wasn't uh quite the selection but yeah if you want to get a great touring bike and he mentioned i think in the interview as well that they're equipped with uh the panniers and the side bags and you get everything you need from these guys so. exactly yeah exactly so um in the next interview which you haven't heard yet um i'm talking to dat louis from uh pacific Riding school. Cool. And what they're doing is different in a lot of ways, teaching basic rider instruction. So I'm just going to cut over here to the interview and let it speak for itself. All right. I am uh, sitting here at the Pacific Riding School booth at the motorcycle show here in Abbotsford. And I'm sitting with uh, one of the uh, head guys here, Dat Louie, and he's going to walk us through their program because it's a little bit different than what we know down in Washington or Oregon, Idaho. So uh, say hi to everybody. Hey, guys. So 
and let's uh, let's go walk through it. Yeah, so we're going to give you a little introduction of uh, how we do rider training here in British Columbia, Canada. And across Canada, it's a little bit different. Um, some places, uh, provinces across Canada, is actually mandatory training. So if you go to province of Quebec, where I'm originally from, um, it's not an option to uh, simply go and get your license at the, well, I guess what you guys call DMV. They would basically have to go to a riding school. So I'm, I'm hoping that goes that way uh, in, in, in British Columbia as well. Right now, we run a 28-hour uh, program, which is divided by three segments. The first segment is eight hours in the classroom, and uh, then we do uh, 10 hours in the park lot, park lot training, and then we go 10 hours on the road. Now I think that's See, that, that's yeah. a little different from what we do down stateside. We don't go on the road, and I've always wanted to see that happen in our program. I'm really happy to hear you guys are doing that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I think the road port portion is a big component of it in putting it all together, because if if the students, we believe the students just know the logistics of mechanically using the controls, they know how to use a clutch or throttle and stuff like that. You still need the strategies how to survive on the street, right? And you do all that road training right in downtown Vancouver, right? Oh, yeah. We go through right downtown <laughs> Vancouver. So some of you guys watching, the guys been to uh, British Columbia. We go actually down Robson. So let, let me go through one section at a time so it does make a little more sense. Sure. So we uh, spend about eight, we spend eight hours in the classroom. So the students spend about two hours in the classroom. So we're talking about, you know, from basic, basic controls, like where the controls are located. I mean, some of these people have never even touched a bike before. Then we actually, we show how the students, um, how the bikes were designed to be used. And let's face it, a lot of people are making up stuff. And we use what the manufacturers taught us. So a lot of us, um, all our instructors have been trained by, believe it or not, all our mentors are from the States. <laughs> a big one is Reg Bridmore. He's, about proud. He's trained me. I've been under his mentorship for 18 years down in Santa Barbara, California. Who runs class motorcycle schools, and we start teaching our students a little bit about the control, a lot about the controls, but most importantly, how to be the proper dance partner with the bike mm-hmm. and to work with the bike, not against the bike. And uh, once they understand that, it, it makes it a whole lot easier. Then once we go in, in the classroom, we also cover about the human body when it's stressed, what happens. Uh, all our instructors, Mark, my, my business partner is Mark Kramer, uh, Mark Kruger, we call him Kramer. He's eight-time super sport champion here in British Columbia. And uh, I've been lucky enough to train under a great mentor down in Washington State, uh, Mike Sullivan, they call him Sully, mm-hmm. down at uh, Ken Washington, uh, Centura, California. So we incorporate a lot of that in. So you got a slideshow here, and uh, let's walk through your slideshow yeah. because you do this really well audibly. They don't need to actually see the slides, but it's... Uh, it's it's pretty good information. Let's 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 do that. So what we always tell people is that um, you know we show them our facilities, our training credentials, because the price of a course in Canada we're chart we're we're, we're up at eight hundred and sixty six dollars and twenty five cents. That's tax in eight twenty five basically what we're charging. So I know there's a big difference with uh, Washington State how yeah. much you guys charge for students. And is, is any of that uh, is any of that sponsored by the state? No, it's not. It's not. But uh, we've been doing this for twenty five years, and I think it took a long time. Uh, to educate consumers that what what you're paying for because you're paying for our background, our training. Um, that's the basic reason why it's not just getting a motorcycle license. And and the training is required in the in the province, right? Uh, no, it's actually optional right now. Oh, okay. It is completely optional. So you get, go ahead and go straight to the DMV. What are we called the um, our motor vehicle branch and challenge the test, the parking lot test, and then do a road test. But or you can attend a school. But I think the culture here in British Columbia is that training is part of it. That you need to get training. So you know the culture of paying eight hundred dollars, and the difference is they're committing. If they're commi- spending eight hundred dollars, they're buying a bike. And the great thing about it is that our industry, uh, the manufacturers, understand that too. That 
the students enroll in our course are buying a bike. Nobody's going to spend $800 and not buy a motorcycle. So that helps the industry as well. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so we go through our credentials and everything. Uh, we are sponsored by Kawasaki, so I'm very proud to be sponsored by these guys. So they give us a variety of bikes uh, to use so to accommodate our students. We got guys who are interested in sto- sport bikes to give us Ninja 300, 400s, um, cruisers, Vulcan 650s, uh, Z650s or Z650s, you guys call them in Washington State. Now these uh, these uh, larger bikes, like yeah. the 650, the Vulcan, is that used in a basic rider training, or use that more in like an intermediate? Uh, we use the the bigger bikes for the road. So once we go into parking lot, uh, the parking lot training, we only stick with the small bikes. So we have a fleet of 2018 KLX 250s, mm-hmm. and once they go on the road. Uh, we start taking out the bigger bikes. Oh, okay. So if they, we profile them at the beginning of the course, meaning that if they're going to buy a cruiser, we're going to steer build towards a cruiser bike in their, on the road ride. Now, if Mary wants to buy a sport bike, you know, we're going to steer them towards a Ninja, four, a Ninja 400 or 300. Uh-huh. So at least when they transition and go buy a bike, it's a lot easier transition. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And we're also, we got some bikes from Honda as well. Uh, we got a sponsorship from these guys. We got CRF 250s. Uh, the CB uh, 500s, and uh, of course the Honda Rebels, which is an excellent uh, beginner bike. And am I looking at an Africa Twin there too? Yeah, they got an African Twin for us uh, for the instructors to use, and uh, uh, okay. and we do have students who are strong enough, meaning who have uh, previous riding experience, who are taking the course. So we will get them to tr- to test run uh, the 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 uh, African Twin, and we just picked up a V-Strom uh, 650 this year as well from Suzuki. So. The, the way the manufacturers see it, I think, which is brilliant on, uh, on their part in British Columbia, is that we're conducting all these test rides and we're actually screening who has the skills or who's looking for these bikes as opposed to just somebody coming for a, a free test ride. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's really targeted towards the right, the right segment of uh, the market. And then there's also, uh, you, you do a certified enduro course for BMW, I see. Yeah, so we're, uh, we had uh, Mark, my partner, went out to Germany and went through the enduro, uh, enduro program out there. So he's a certified BMW instructor. So that helps a lot, too, that anybody that wants to get, get into adventure riding, we have a compound that people can train on and uh, get into dirt bike. Because uh, aside from adventure riding, and a lot of people get a little intimidated going to, from uh, pavement to dirt. So it's yeah, good yeah, one. definitely. And jacket-wise, um, even gear-wise, we, we make sure we educate everybody in riding, riding with the proper gear. So, yeah, what we're looking at here is a slide where all the students have actually ballistic uh, jackets on made by Joe Rocket. So you guys get everybody dressed in proper riding gear before they do the testing. You know, and you know for us down at Stateside, uh, it's blue jeans, it's long sleeve T-shirts, it's, it's pretty lax, but it's not... It's not the best idea. No, it's not the best idea. And I think, you know, right from the beginning, it's good to um, start educating these guys that right from the beginning of their uh, riding career that they start wearing proper gear. I mean, the gear, people, you know, think gear is uncomfortable, it's too hot. I mean, there's a lot of perforated stuff out there. So through Joe Rocket, they give us a whole bunch of jackets and start educating them. You know, that's what you wear. I mean, the, yeah. the, the best way I say it is that if you guys from Washington State come in Stanley Park and people are rollerblading around, the way I say it is, People are rollerblading with more body armor than motorcycle <laughs> yeah. riders. Uh, or you go to Whistler, British Columbia, That's the mountain right. bikers wear more body armor, and we're riding bikes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, with a little common sense like that and a little sense of humor, I, I think um, these students actually get it. And they actually think, like, well, you know, riding gear can work, and, uh, it can be functional and can be stylish. Yeah, yeah. And 
We're sponsored by Showy as well, so they give wow. us all the helmets. So they get to wear a Showy helmet, a Joe Rocket. You get them. You get them in the stuff. You get yeah. Them feeling it's it's. You know, a lot of people are so uh, terrified that they won't be able to see out of a full face helmet, and and you dispel that immediately in training. Exactly, I mean, especially with the the visibility of uh, the perfect vision of uh, the perfect view from uh, uh, Showy helmets. I mean, they offer great views, and another thing with Showy helmets, uh, which we're really glad to be uh, hooking up with these sponsors, is that um, we're not going give them a hundred dollar helmet or eighty dollar helmet and us personally would never wear that helmet yeah. so you know when they see instructors with our pictures in our classrooms like we race with showies you know down at uh, the ridge or, or down at the uh, pacific raceway you know it, it tells a little bit of something about it that hey we wear them you should wear these ones too it's yeah. something we believe in. we believe in these products right and my partner a lot of reason why a lot of people come travel uh, quite a distance from worcester north of Vancouver all the way to see us or even we had a few people from Bellingham come up to see us who's had a more scholastic ready is our background my my partner is Mark uh, he's like I said he has eight time championships and has nothing to do with racing uh, very similar to uh, the way I explained to them you know people ride cruisers why is it important for you that to have instructors with such high level of, of training if I was to get into martial, I'm not into you know I'm not going to get into fighting in a ring or anything like that. But if I was to take a self-defense course, I still rather learn from George St. Pierre. I'm not going to enter the UFC ring, mm-hmm. but I still rather learn from George St. Pierre. Or if uh, if something about traction, you know, if the bike goes sideways, I have no no qualms about asking Mike Sullivan, right? Hey, Mike, if my bike goes sideways, what should I do? Should I breathe out? What's how's my body react? So uh, that's where we're. It's what we call lateral transfer of learning. Uh, Learn from other other fields, right? Yep. And background-wise, um, teaching. Um, I'm a graduate from McGill University, which is uh, I hate to say it, what Canadians call the Harvard of of Canada. I'm a, a graduate from uh, the Faculty of Education, so I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. So the way we design this course is very specific into how adults learn. And we're looking here at a at a slide of a. Uh, uh Outside uh, parking lot class being taught in the rain, and everybody's outfitted in rain gear. I love it. So yeah, we really we ride in Vancouver, so we uh, provide all the rain gear, and um, a big part of this our learning process is to adapt our teaching style to the way they learn, and to what they are interested, in, not necessarily what always what we're interested in. Yeah. And the most important thing we all, a, a big model for us is, and even when we demonstrate, and I. And I think it's a big fault of uh, beginner instructors is that they try to show the students what they can do. I say, no, we need to show them what they should look like, not what we can do on a bike. Right. That's the most important part. Yeah, yeah. Be humble about that out there. And so there we go. We go eight hours in the classroom. Then we do uh, 10 hours in the parking lot. So we start from actually pushing the bike. Somebody's never seen it. Get in the right, proper riding position. Um, push them off. Clutch use, uh, throttle use. Shifting gears, turning push steering uh, vision and then what we start doing is once they start getting comfortable we work with them and they say to us okay bump to the next level so what we'll actually do is get on the back seat we'll go through the exercises with us on the back seat the reason why for that is real bikes weigh a little bit more and what we're trying to do is get them as close as possible to the real thing meaning the biggest complaint is people finish the school and they go to a dealership and get on these bigger bikes and oh my god the school bikes don't weigh anything like this so you're saying the instructor gets on the back seat oh yeah so we get on the back that's a scary idea so we get on the back of the bike (laughs) after they reach a certain competent level competence level and um, we actually act like a dumbbell and try to increase the weight of the bike right 
And it builds confidence that when they transition to the bigger bikes, like the Vulcan 650s on a road, it's an easier transition. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we do. And we do a lot of, for example, they go through slums. We'll push them on their shoulders, a little nudge to simulate crosswinds. You know, you know, they got a rock strap booth right down the way here. You could just get a couple 55-gallon drums and strap them on the back of the bike, and then you'd save yourself the road rash, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's, a, that's an idea, too. <laughs> that's an idea. But don't forget, the instructors are in full body armor teaching, too. And... Um, so we do the, we have a, a test uh, in a parking lot here. So when the students first come, they, they get a learner's permit, which, the government, which allows them to learn how to ride a bike on the road. And uh, once you get the learner's permit, they, they still have to be supervised by somebody with a full motorcycle license, which in British Columbia we call a class six. And um, we do the parking lot tests with them. It's called the motorcycle skills test. And uh, what that does is you go through a slow speed ride, you do a U-turn a, a box, slalom, uh, acceleration shifting and um, uh, emergency stop or sudden stop we call it and that removed their supervision restriction mm-hmm. so they could start riding alone and get to ride over 60 kilometers an hour or what we say highway speeds here mm-hmm. but they still can't take passengers so that will come after the road ride so we'll book them our road test at the DMV and DV comes to our location and they test them for the final road test. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. When you get done with the course, it's the people from the from the department that come and do the test, the final testing. Yes, the final testing. So you're correct. Uh, so the parking lot test just removes the restriction to um, so they can start riding unsupervised. That's done with us, or you could do it with the branch or, or start the DMV or us. But it's easier just going through us. I kind of like the way we do it, where where our contractors can administer the the final testing too. It saves us that. You know that extra hassle of having someone come in from outside and do the final testing. I agree. I totally agree because about uh, 15 years ago, we were doing the road test ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what happened is the road test was originally only uh, 10 minutes long, I mean, literally going around the block and coming back. So they switched it to a 45-minute road test, which is what they call the observation test, uh, about looking around, you know, wow. hazard perception, all that stuff. So what happened is when they offered the two main schools in the Lower Mainland here, it was myself and another one. Um, to do the road test ourselves, but the road test would have to be mandatory 45 minutes road test with a 15 minutes debriefing with the student. So we've, we as an industry decided that, you know what, that's too much manpower. So to do five road tests in a, a day, that's five hours. So we said, you know what, we're just going to hand it off to the back to the DMV. Yeah. Okay, so it, it was just a logistic uh, nightmare for us yeah, yeah, to be doing. And with the amount of students we go through a year, we go through almost close to 950 students a year. Okay. So that's why, if you think about manpower rise, it, it's just not feasible for us to do a test. So we just, you know, hand it to, to, to the, what we call ICBC or do it, and they're pretty confident in that. Cool. Well, you know what? Um, I'm gonna, I, at this point, I'm going to say if anybody wants more information, they need to go to your Pacific Riding School website. And uh, we always encourage our readers to uh, get some training every other year, no matter what. And so here's another way to mix it up. You could come up to Canada for a few days and do the, the training up here and see what they're doing that we're not teaching down there. Yeah, I love for our Washington riders to come up and, like I said, and do some road training with us if you don't have any road training. And you guys are blessed down there down in the States with so many tracks, with the ridge especially. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty envious. Well, thank you for having me on there. All right. Thanks a lot, Dad. Louis. Uh, once again, it's uh, Pacific Riding Schools at PacificRidingSchool.com. Yeah, PacificRidingSchool.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible by... Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. 
Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hello there. My name's Scott. I live in Everett, Washington. And I've ridden for the majority of my life. I'm 52 years old now. Uh, mostly motocross and off-road stuff. That's the racing I did. But uh, thinking about an adventure bike and whether I go with just a good old-fashioned dual sport that might be a few years older or something that's really zoot, don't know yet. But uh, just getting interested and paying attention to what adventure bikes are out there. Hello, Matt Marici here with Piaggio Group Americas, all the way from New York City, and you are listening to the Sound Rider Show. into the final segment of this February episode of the Sound Rider Show. And, of course, you know that in the month of love, we wouldn't leave you with a f- without a few motorcycle tips and tricks. What uh, direction do you lean in this month? Are you more tip or more trick, Tom? Um, I'm both. Wow. That's pretty fancy stuff here. On, yeah, it's uh, a tip and a good trick. Yeah. Well, do you want uh, me to lead it off then? Since you've got all that build up, I'll uh, I'll kind of give you a little <laughs> bit of opener. We'll let you let you close with that, or would you prefer sure, to you, jump in? You go ahead. All right. So I'm going to offer a little bit of uh, real world advice that uh, kind of dawned upon me actually on our trip up to uh, Vancouver and to the motorcycle show. And my tip this month is to do a little exploring on four wheels. Uh, you took us through some uh, great roads. We went around a couple of places a little bit off the beaten path. We could have hopped on the interstate and taken that straight up into B.C., but uh, we decided with three motorcyclists in the car that we would go and look at some of those interesting little side roads that might make for a nice day ride or weekend ride in the upcoming uh, warmer months. So that's my tip. When you're out, whether you're commuting or if you're just taking a trip to grandma's, you know what, take that extra right turn and go down, check out a road and see, hey, maybe that will make for a a nice weekend ride in the upcoming months. That was a lot of fun for me. It was, yeah. I was the driver and I was picking out the route as I went. And uh, it was was fun for me to show you guys stuff and you weren't worrying about operating a motorcycle or you were just sitting in the passenger seats and getting to see all this stuff go by, yep. and you know the weather was horrible. Yeah, but um, it didn't matter. You knew you knew what all that would look like in the daylight, and it would be beautiful. Absolutely, and, and you, you got get a good uh, introduction to some of those roads. And you get the added benefit when you do it with uh, friends like we did, where there was only one or two times where we had to bust out uh, the phone GPS. But you can keep rolling. You don't. You don't <laughs> well, have to. Par for the course. Well, what I'm saying is that you don't have to pull over, and it's like on your motorcycle. If you're lost, you know, it's like it can become a little bit of an ordeal, but you go out and kind of lay the groundwork with this. you got a few friends in the car. You just keep driving, listen to music, talking, and uh, find your way and find a few new interesting routes. So get out there. Don't be afraid to explore on four wheels before you go on two. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so my tip this month is uh, you got your pen handy? I do. It's in hand. Ready to write yeah. this down? I'm ready. Dr. Bronner's mm-hmm. 18 in 1 Peppermint Castile Soap. Know it well. Yeah. Yeah. You could do a lot with that. You can wash your hair. You can wash your body. You can wash your motorcycle. Yeah. It's the one and only soap you'll ever need. Don't put it in the washing machine, though, because it's bubbly. Really? I think that's one of the suggested uses, though. No, 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 no. Super bubbly. Don't know. You can hand wash. Okay, with, maybe but that's But you can't it. put it in the washing machine. That'll be a problem. If you want to put it, something in the washing machine, we've got the Nick Wax base wash that you can use. That's that a good one. Up yeah. In your washing machine. Right. But um, if you're if you just want to take something for a three day trip and you want to use it for your body and your hair, and if you need to wash your bike at some point, you got soap handy. That is uh, three uses. What are the other fifteen? Can you use it as toothpaste? I feel like that's one of the suggested uses. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure I'd do that. I mean, I'd, no I'd look at the label but... real close before yeah. I did that. Um, you know, you can use it to wash floors. You can use it to. I use it to scrub the shower. Okay. Um, you can. You know, any kind of household type work that you would do, you use it to clean your garage floor. If you right. got a concrete garage floor, you put it down, and let it soak in a little bit. Uh, but just remember, it is bubbly, so it's not it's not one of those soaps that doesn't have any bubbles to it. It's a concentrated uh, formula. That's, it is. That's yeah. for sure. So that's good. That's a great tip. And you're right. It is. It's very versatile. And it sounds like not only can uh, you clean your garage when you come back with your dirty motorcycle, you can also uh, clean that Motel Six that you go to and you find a little unsightly too. You clean the shower and you know whatever you got to do with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're going you're gonna to do it when you first walk in or just before you leave? Well, I would prefer to do it when I just got there, but, uh, you know, to each their own. But you're right. Uh, that Dr. Bonner stuff is, uh, is a good catch, and you can get that at a lot of uh, camping supply stores, too, I think. Yeah, I should sell it on the Soundwriter store, don't yeah, you think? absolutely. I might have to look into that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, writers and readers, that is our show for February, number 1802. Look out. We look forward to uh, meeting you back here, same moto time, same moto station, on the Soundwriter Show. The Soundwriter Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.